Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will, and, uh, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 21 today, Luke chapter 21. Uh, this is our final sermon in the generosity series. We've been talking for the last month or so about how we grow in our generosity, and we've been talking about our relationship with our money. I don't know if you've noticed this, but as we've had four different preachers over the course of the last uh, four different weeks, um, there, there tends to be, when we stand up here to talk about money, we, we have to have kind of an apologetic tone. Like, I'm sorry we have to talk about this. Uh, I know it's kind of a difficult thing. We use these sort of, sort of words. I, I will say, it's not like that everywhere uh, and in, in every culture and in every church even. When I was in, when I was in college at UNC Chapel Hill, we, um, uh, for, a, for a season, went to a, uh, to a black church there. I was one of the only white faces in a, in a sea of hundreds of black faces and uh, wanted, to, wanted to experience church differently than I had grown up, wanted to learn a different, um, a different culture in our faith. And so for a season, we went there. And um, the, the pastor was a fantastic guy. He loved Jesus, was strong biblically, was a great preacher. Uh, and at the time of what we would call the offertory, they would, they would pass the baskets around. And I mean, there was big choir and big keyboards and big drums. I mean, it was, and the pastor was dancing and everybody was dancing, right? And, uh, and so they would pass the, pass the plates around and they'd come up to the front. And on every, any given Sunday, you didn't really know if this would happen, but it happened sometimes that he would look out the front and he'd like, he'd like quiet everybody down. And he'd quiet the choir down, and he'd, he'd quiet, and then he'd go, and he'd look at the, the baskets, and he'd go, really? <laughs> he'd go, he'd be like, what, what, this, this is what you can give? He's like, I know that you can be more generous than that. And he'd go, pass them again. And then the choir would start back up again, the drums would come in, and they'd get him up there, and, and then, you know, finally they'd get back to the front, and he'd look and be like, all right, but next week. I'm expecting more from this, right? And he was, no, he was no prosperity gospel guy. He didn't have a million-dollar house outside of town or fancy cars. He just loved Jesus and spoke to his people well and spoke unapologetically about generosity and money. Uh, and uh, he was a fantastic guy. and was a fantastic church. And so what I want to do is to be able to talk um, straight about money today. We're just not going to have an apologetic tone. We're just going to talk. And, uh, and we're going to just go ahead and start passing these. Over. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do, um, we're, we're not gonna do that. Um, we're going to be in Luke 21. Um, and in Luke 21, this is a, this is a, a well-known passage. It's real short. Jesus, Jesus is in the temple in what was called the court of women. At the, court, uh, the, the side of the court of women, there were 13 offering boxes in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, they called them trumpets because they had a, sort of a, a narrow top and then a big bottom like this. And so you could put your money in there uh, and nobody could you know, read like reach in there and get it back out again. And, uh, and so there were 13 boxes in, and uh, they were all designated for different things. Two of them were for the temple tax, the obligatory temple tax that you had to pay as well. And so it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So in, um, 
in, in the parallel passage to this in Mark, it said that Jesus actually sits down. And so he's sort of like, he's resting from teaching. He's been teaching in the temple courts. Um, and he sits down, kind of leans against a wall, and he's, and he's intentionally watching people as they're putting their offering in the, the baskets, which would be a sermon all to itself, right? I'm like, how does that feel? The offertory of like, Jesus is watching you, right? Uh, and, uh, and so he's watching them put their gifts in the, uh, in the offering box. And he, he sees the rich putting in, and then he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, these little tiny, tiny coins that were about a day's worth of, uh, of salary for a day laborer. So, so really low in their culture. And he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So, so here's where, um, at the, uh, since we're coming to the end of our generosity campaign in this upcoming week, we're going to be collecting pledges and things. This is where we can emotionally manipulate, okay? And so that we can come in and say, this poor widow had nothing, and she put in all she had to live on, what are you going to get? Except I don't think that that's what this verse is about at all. I think sometimes we, we have misread this verse. To truly understand this passage, we have to understand the context, okay? So, uh, so if, you, if you would back up a couple of chapters, you'll start to see that Jesus is, Jesus is in the midst of, of fighting with the, uh, the church leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, the teachers of the law. He's having, he's having some, <clears throat> some confrontation with them. So back in Luke 16, Luke describes the Pharisees, it says the Pharisees, comma, were lovers of money. So, so we start to see the description of some of these church leaders as money lovers, okay? In Luke 19, Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. And, and what does that mean? He didn't like scrub it. Um, he came in and he starts turning over tables. He makes a whip out of cords. Mad, angry, mad Jesus, right? He comes in. All the bluebirds flew out of his pantine hair. Um, and uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, those are all the images. He's got really flowing hair and all of the, the old religious imagery. Anyway, so, so, he, uh, so he has a whip and he's turning over tables. Whose tables is he turning over? He's turning over the tables of the money changers. And so when you came into the temple, you had to exchange your money for temple money. And there was a, there was, there was a really bad exchange rate. So people were being taken right there at the, at the door, right, to get in. And then you had to buy sacrificial animals, and the prices were exorbitant. I mean, really super high. And so this is a racket that's going on in the temple. Uh, and so Jesus starts to, starts to clean the temple by starting with how money is handled in the temple. And he's turning over the tables. He's running them out. He's, he's causing a big ruckus in all of this as well. And then right after that, he says to the people who are listening in, in uh, chapter 20, he says, in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats at the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. And then listen close. He says, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. 
Okay, then comes our passage, which we're going to sit in in just a minute. But right after that, in, in chapter 21, he says, while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So our context here of, of the widow and the rich people and the, and the putting in of the money is in this context of, of, of Jesus pushing back against an entire system of giving and use of that giving that is ungodly. Um, and so he's not just there saying, here's the all-star in all of this, is this poor widow. In fact, if you go back, he says she gave more, but he never says this is great and good and glorious. Because I think that as he's sitting there looking at the people coming and giving, he actually sees two errors. One is, is what he's been speaking about so much here of, of the rich coming, the people who love money, and they're coming, and what he says is that they're giving out of their abundance. In other words, they're not giving anything that really matters to them. There's no heart in it whatsoever. They're just giving what's something that doesn't mean as much because they have an abundance of it, and so they're giving of their extra, not anything that really cuts to the heart. At the same time, there's something else going on that Jesus is, is seeing, recognizing, and opposing, and that is a system of giving that is oppressing the poor. Because it says, that, this is what never sat well with me in this verse, uh, when it says, they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. How did she eat? How did she, how did she pay her bills? How, is this okay? Like, is this what God is asking for widows to come and put in everything they have and then starve? Which, which goes against the rest of the scripture that talks about God's concern for the widows uh, and that, in fact, the offering to the temple is supposed to be used to be able to take care of the temple needs and to be able to help people just like this woman. And so Jesus is speaking out against both of these things. He's, not, he's neither condemning the rich for being rich. He's not condemning her for what she's doing either. But he's pointing out there's two problems here. One, a frivolous giving. This is like, I'm just going to give. I got some extra. I'm going to throw a 20 in the plate this week and maybe a 100 at Christmas, right? Like uh, that, that sort of frivolous, I'm not really even going to think about it. My heart's not in it, but I can either soothe my conscience or, uh, or let other people see what I'm giving. And he's, and he's pushing back against that, uh, that kind of frivolous giving. And he's also pushing back against a manipulative church system uh, that would oppress people further like this woman who is a widow. And so, and he is, he is about to destroy the whole temple over these kind of things. And so, so the question that this should bring up for us is, first of all, um, Jesus doesn't condemn that there are uh, giving boxes in the temple. It's, it, he doesn't say, why are people even giving anything? Oh, no, we're supposed to be giving. Um, but in the Old Testament teaches us that. The New Testament continues that. Jesus is not condemning that there is offering. He's condemning or pointing out um, the, uh, our heart condition as we come and that that is what is of the deepest concern. So, so this should leave us some questions here. If Jesus is okay with giving, 
he, he expects giving, wants giving, uh, but he's sort of pushing back against two sides of this. How do we, what should we give and how should we give should be the questions for Christians, not should we give. And here's, we, we put titles on our sermons because we have to put them on the webpage and things like that. And so it's sort of weird titling a sermon. But uh, so, so when we're putting this together and we said, what's the title for this one? It's just simply this, Christians give. That's it. That's all there is to it. Like there's, there's all kinds of questions of, well, you know, do I give off of my, do I tithe off of my gross or my net? Like do, where do I tithe off? How do I do that? What is it proper to give? Here's it. Look, at the heart of all of those, those details is just simply this. Christians give. It's what we do. It's who we are. Because we serve a giving and generous God and that our lives and our actions point other people to, to the God that we are bending our lives around. And so therefore, we give. That's what we do. And if you're a Christian that doesn't give in any way, I, I would really call you to examine your faith. Because at the heart of your faith is a God who has given of himself so that you can gain the rewards that, of, of relationship with God and heaven itself by the merits of Jesus. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You don't deserve it. And yet God, out of his love and generosity and abundance, has lavished it upon us. At the heart of our faith is giving and so if we are striving to be more like the God who has saved us and in whose image we are being renewed, we should be givers. There just shouldn't be any argument about that side of it, right? But what about these other parts? Okay, we're supposed to be givers. How, how or why and how are we supposed to give? So let me unpack that just a little bit. First this, why do Christians give? Giving is about reorienting our lives. We have a natural inward bent. You can see that throughout the scripture. You can read about it, in, particularly in Genesis chapter 3, right, where, where we are seeking our own stuff. This is, the, this is the, the first and mightiest sin of mankind, is that we want the knowledge of good and evil so that we can sit on the throne, and we like to be sovereign over our own lives, our own providers, our own protectors, our own, uh, our own kings and queens over our own lives. And we need that treasury to be able to do that. Giving is about dethroning ourselves. It's about saying, all the money that I earn is not even mine. Every breath of my life is not for me to do with what, what I please, but rather that there is a God who has said, I have made you in a particular way, and as you participate in life in the way that I have ordered it, you're going to have more joy than you could ever have on your own. You're going to have more protection than you're ever going to have if you're trying to protect yourself. You're going to be provided for in ways that you've never, that you, by hoarding your own, can never provide for yourself. And giving is about is dethroning ourselves and reorienting our lives from an inward bent to an outward focus. Primarily, giving is about God. It's part of our worship. And, 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 and it's been that way throughout the entirety of Scripture that our giving is a part of our worship. It's one of the reasons why that, that when, uh, when, 
many of us give online in here as well. That's part of our economy. It's the way we pay bills. It's fine. Um, but we encourage you, if you do that, to pick up one of those giving coins when you come in that represent your online gift so that you can physically be a part of the worship service so that it's not just, well, I've checked my box. I paid my electric bill. I paid my church tithe. I paid my, and we just check it off and it's far away. But to physically, sacramentally take part in giving. That's why we encourage you to take those coins and to put it in and to teach your kids how to put it in to that basket that comes up here before the Lord and is, uh, and is, is physically offered in a way to be able to say this is yours. So our bodies participate in this. Giving is primarily about God. It's about his glory. And so we give because he deserves it. That's one of the reasons we give, just flat out because he deserves it. And so we're giving for his glory. We're giving for his obedience, he deserve, for our obedience to him. He, he tells us to. And so if he tells us to uh, and we're following him, then we give. If we don't give but he's told us to, how are we following him? Right? I mean, you can see the, the, just the logic to stop making sense here. But when he calls us to give, it's a freedom that he's calling us to. Like the, over and over again, the scripture goes into how, how these gifts are not supposed to be manipulative or, or under compulsion or begrudging giving to the Lord, but that it's supposed to release in us a freedom of worship and that we desire to give these things. Don't you desire to give good gifts to your children if you have children? It's, it's, Christmas is fun. Birthdays are fun when we can give them something and they open it up and they're like, oh, I love this. And it makes you happy to be able to give good things to those whom you love. And it should make us happy to say, God, this is, this is yours and we honor you and we enjoy giving. We shouldn't have to be apologetic about it. We should actually be inviting people into it. I'll revisit uh, a passage that J.D. took us through a couple of weeks ago. In 1 Chronicles 29, when they're building the temple, Israel is building the temple, uh, and they're gathering all of the materials for it, and King David gives a ton of his own money. It goes into all the 43, or sorry, uh, 3,000 uh, talents of gold and 7,000 talents of silver and all of these sort of things. So by today's standard, listen to this, by today's standard, David's gifts would have been somewhere between 200 and 800 b billion dollars. That's how much he gave of his own money. Then they go to the people and they say, okay, the king's already given this amount. What about you guys? And the people give. And then listen to what it, listen to what it says. And whoever had precious stones give, gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord and the care of Jaleel the, the Gerashite. And then verse 9 says this. Listen to this. This is mind-blowing. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. I mean, there's no sense of manipulation here. There's no sense of, of being compelled. There's a sense of we get to do this. We get to come together for the glory of the Lord. We get to participate in this. The king's rejoicing. The people are rejoicing. And why? Because they gave with a whole heart willingly to the Lord. There's something that happens within us that frees us from the tyranny of money when we're able to start to disconnect from it as a God and instead put our God on the throne. 
So giving is about, primarily about reorienting our lives around God. Part of that, and dethroning us as well, is, is what it says here in verse 14 in 1 Chronicles 29. It says, But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus offer willingly? Like they're coming with all this stuff and then they come before God not going, aren't you really proud of us? They're coming going, like you're God and even though we're giving billions of dollars, who are we to be able to give this to you because you are so good? And then it says, for all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. We say that every time, every day, uh, every Sunday when we give our money here, right, uh, at, the, uh, at the offertory. It's a recognition, all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. In other words, you are the true provider. You are truly the one who's on the throne, and what we're giving you was yours to be given with anyway. Now that is a reorienting of our hearts and minds to think that the things that we have are actually the things of God, and we... We will fight this fight our entire lives of wanting to put ourselves back on the throne of provider and the throne of I should get everything that I want and my, my resources are for my glory and for my comfort and for my happiness. But, this, but that brings about in us, honestly, a severe anxiety. Because here's the problem. When you don't have money, you're anxious about not having money. When you do have money, you're anxious about losing the money that you have. So money never brings about peace. Money never brings about peace. And so we're leaning on it, and even if we lean on it, if we get it, it doesn't bring about the hope of, of uh, a glorious future and the comfort that we, that we desire. Because it's not about those physical things. It keeps coming back to the heart. And so God is, God is wanting to move us to this place of, of reorienting our, the desires of our hearts. That's what giving is about. It's reorienting the desires of our hearts around God. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He doesn't say, where your heart goes first, then your treasure will follow. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And there's an aspect of uh, of uh, of saying, if we then put our treasure in to the Lord, when we say, "Yeah, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to make some different decisions." In, in other words, in order to, in order to be faithful with our tithe as Christians, sometimes that we that means that we don't get to do something else. That's what that means. Uh, that uh, that that uh, it means that we have to that we have to sometimes not get things for ourselves. I, I spoke with a. Uh, a uh, someone who was in one of the churches where I served a long time ago, um, and we were preaching on money, uh, and she she wrote me an email that said we really would like to participate more in uh, in giving uh, at the church, but we just don't have the money to be able to do that right now. So we're going to pray about it and see how we can work uh, to do that. And then it said, P.S. We look forward to your family coming over and enjoying our new pool. had no sense of connection here of being able to go, we don't have any money to participate in the work of ministry and in the church, but we're going to pray about that. But we just put in a brand new pool in the backyard. Sometimes, as Christians, that's what that means, is that we don't get to do everything that we want because we desire something else greater. That, this, is, this, is where, this is where the rubber starts to hit the road in our faith. 
right, where we go, I'm going to give up some other stuff in order to be faithful and obedient, in order to participate so that God is glorified, in order to participate that the church has what it needs as well, uh, in order to bless other people. I'm going to have to change the things that I've got. I might have to drive a less expensive car. Because we sacrifice those things because we are cultivating a greater love in God. It is reorienting the desires of of our hearts. Giving is also about reorienting our lives not just around God, but God shows us that he wants us to reorient our lives around others. That we live our lives for other people, for the work of mission, for the needs of the church. You start to see, uh, you start to see in Acts chapter 2, this is the first Christian gathering after Jesus is crucified and then the, the, the Spirit is given at Pentecost and then Peter preaches the first Christian sermon and then the Christians gather for the first time in what we would see the church. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And you will see that a huge part of what they're doing in there is stewardship. They actually sold their stuff in order to make sure that other people would have what they need. They have been transformed by a sacrificial, generous gospel, and they want to be like the Christ that has saved them. It's a part of who we are, of of learning how to give and reorienting our lives around others. Outside of money, you know what else Christians do? Christians use turn signals. (laughs) Do you know why Christians use turn signals? Because it doesn't have anything to do with you. You know you're turning, right? You're not like, oh, I forgot I was turning. But this blinking light now reminded me that I'm turning. Why do you use turn signals? To signal everyone else around you what's going on so they don't have to slam on their brakes before they come alongside of you or they know to slow down. It's all for everyone else is why, is why we use turn signals. And if we can't come to the place of when we're driving for the blessing of others to do this, click because we have too much going on in our own lives. Friends, we need to get off the throne, right? Like, come on. Uh, if, if, if we cannot lower ourselves to the point of moving our finger, we, we need to do some reexamination of ourselves who are trying to serve a giving God, Right? And if you're like, well, the problem is, Dan, like I get it, but the problem is I've got my phone in my hand. This is a whole other question about the things that do when uh, how Christians drive and how we pay attention to what's going on. But that, we'll leave that one for another time. You know what else Christians do? We take our shopping carts back. That's what we do. We take them back because if we, if we are so lazy that we're just going to leave it in. I mean, they even put little corrals in the lot for you so you don't have to walk 20 feet back to the building, but only 8 feet here to the little shopping cart corral. If we're so lazy that we're just going to leave it there so that it might hit someone else's car or it takes up the parking space or the people that work at the grocery stores have to go chase them around because we're so lazy that we can't take it 8 feet and then when we put it in the corral, we don't shove it in there so only 5 can fit in the entire little thing. We take it and you push it in into the other carts and then the other people who have left theirs like that, you rearrange those and you make it so that other people can get their cart in there too. That's what Christians do. All right, we're passing them now, right here. Uh, Because why do we do this? Like, these seem like small things, 
But these small things show our hearts. And we need to be oriented towards others. Because, because here's what we do. We don't put our own cart back because we're too lazy. And then we want to park and someone else has left their cart in the spot. And we're like, what the? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, how rude. Somebody just left their cart in there. Everyone else, it's a problem. We have our reasons. We need to be oriented around other people. And little things like turn signals and carts are one thing. The biggest place, how do we use our money to bless other people? And when we go, yeah, but that's not their money. I've earned that money. It's my money. And other people just need to work to get what they need. And all things come from you, O Lord. And from your own have we given you. It's a reorienting of our understanding of life itself, about where our needs are met and who is truly God, you, your money, or God himself. And so we're being invited into this, not guilted into giving, but called to a brand new life of generosity. We, we're called to be set free from the tyranny of narcissism. We hate narcissists, don't we, that are so focused on themselves all the time? Maybe sometimes we need to look in the mirror and see if we have some of that in our own lives as well. Like nobody looks around the world and says either this, you know what we need in this world? More narcissists. If we had more narcissists, everything would be flowing really greatly. And you know what else we need? We need to teach our kids to be more selfish. If they could be more selfish, everything is going to go better in the world. Nobody says that. People say, we need to learn how to love one another, care for one another. And you need to lead the charge in loving and caring for one another and looking out for other people's needs in small and big ways. The church, that's who. Christians, that's who. Because we know the God who puts that in our hearts of recognizing that loving others and giving to others is the right way. That comes from God. That's a revelation from God. And we're the people who know God if we are Christians in this room. And so if other people are going to know this too, we lead the way. In generosity, we lead the way in looking out for others. We lead the way in humility. We lead the way in service because Jesus did that first. Quickly, if these are the reasons why Christians give, um, how do Christians give? I'm not going to repeat all the sermons from the past. You can go back and listen to them. Bishop Allen started off our our series was talking to us about tithing. We give our tithe 10% to the local church. That's what we give. The, 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 the local church is the primary place of ministry in a local geographic area. And so we're giving to the work of mission. Uh, and so here's what I would say. Like Jesus turned over the tables in the temple because the, the, the church leaders were extorting people and were not leading well. If you do not trust the leadership of this church or how the, the, the finances are stewarded here, do not give. If you don't trust, do not give. But you can't just go, I don't trust, so I don't give, and sit at home. Now you got work to do. Because now you got to find out why you don't trust who you don't trust. And you, need to get, you have to be proactive at asking those questions. Because if there really is not that trust, we, we need some reconciliation. Right? Like we, we can't sit in that. We can't just stir on that because that's not the gospel. And so if you don't trust that the funds here are being stewarded well, then don't give. But, well, but you got work to do. You can't leave it there. Talk to the people that you need to talk to. Talk to your vestry. Talk to me. Talk to Jesse, our executive director. Talk, talk to who you need to talk to to find out how you can trust in that. 
I'll stand up here freely and fully and putting my reputation and everything else on the line to be able to say, I love how this church handles money. Uh, I think that we're outwardly focused. I think that we have to take care of the things that we have to take care of in order for our church to be up and running. But our desire is to serve our community. We want to take care of our staff well who are serving you all well. Also, um, we're transparent with the things that, that are happening here, that there are proper division of things. And so like, if somebody came to me and said, Dan, I think you're stealing money from the church, I'd be like, I don't even know how to steal money from the church. I don't, I don't, even, have any, like, I don't even have any way to do that even if I wanted to because there's proper accountability and such as well. I think it's great the way that things are handled here. Now, can we get better? Sure we can. And that's why you can volunteer for the finance team because we do need <laughs> volunteers uh, on that team as well. But friends, if we, believe, if we believe in this community together and this is our church family, then let's, let's give our tithe into the local church. And if you're like, oh, that's an Old Testament thing. It's not, okay, fine. Look, I'm not going to argue with that. But, but there's nowhere in the New Testament that's going to say anything less than 10%. So if you want to argue with me about, no, that's an Old Testament thing, great, then give 20%. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. But you see people selling their stuff in order to give, to give in the New Testament. Okay? So I'm, I'm fine to argue for a higher percentage if you would like. We also, have, we also give offerings outside of our tithe. We give to specific needs, to missionaries, to mission work, to, to, uh, to specific needs of the church as well. We give of, of over and above our tithe as well. And then lastly is alms, where we're giving to support and help the poor. You can't read the scripture without seeing God's concern for the poor. And one of the ways that we help the poor is to be able to financially help them. Um, and uh, James talks about this. Don't just say, go be warm and well-fed and then not do anything about it. But we want to put our money where our faith is as well and serve and help people. I, I, I was at the Free Farmer's Market yesterday and just in awe of all of you um, who were there loving people well. We were praying for folks. People were filling their bellies and their souls in that place. And it was beautiful. So here's how we'll wrap this up. Um, I don't think we need to talk apologetically about money anymore. I think we just need to be honest about it because it's a gift to learn how to live generously. And if we could be free from the anxiety of money, especially in this time right now with, with economic turmoil going on, that we are so tempted to clamp down then uh, and go, okay, things are kind of bad, they're not real easy, so I'm going to have to climb back up in that throne and direct everything in my life because I have to protect and I have to provide and I have to, I have to, I have to, and you are a terrible God. You're a terrible God. Giving is about dethroning ourselves and trusting. It's about reorienting our lives around God and other people. Christians give because our God gives. Christians, Christians give because he invites us into a life of giving. Christians give not under compulsion but by invitation. Christians give to know the joy of his grace. We give to bless others. We give to serve the needs of the church. We give to grow the kingdom. We give to free our own hearts, to dethrone ourselves. So friends, let's be a place of radical generosity, of recognizing that all things come from God and most particularly his son Jesus Christ who has died in our stead generously to lavish grace upon us. And let us learn to grow and be this together, to be a place where that in a world that is full of anxiety and fear and anger and bitterness and selfishness, that we lead the way in the name of Christ, a light in a dark place, a city on a hill, and that we lead through our generosity and it will be our greatest witness to the work of the Lord. If we are not a generous people, people will think that our God is not generous, and that is absolutely not true. Our giving is our witness 
And so, friends, let us be a generous church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray with me. God, we need you to change our hearts. We need you to, uh, we need you to help us know how to be responsible in our giving and um, to, know, to know how we give well um, but wisely, um, to know what we can do and what we can't do, to know how to make good financial decisions so that we order things properly so that we can give. We need help, Lord. We need help from you. We need help from one another and the community. But Lord, what I pray today is that you would just begin us on a journey or take us even further on the journey of generosity to truly move our hearts to, play, to a place of recognizing that it is a joy to give, that it's a freedom to give, that, it is, that, is willing, that our hearts would be willing and obedient, uh, and in doing that, that we will see the joy of, of our God who has given of himself and calls us to give to others, and in doing so, we find the life that we've always been searching for. And so, Lord, bless us with your Holy Spirit, with your grace, all in the name of Jesus Christ, to make us a generous church. Amen.